Bokertov and good morning, welcome back. We are at the fourth part of our series on the topic of the journey of the soul and today's topic is reincarnation, something which is incredibly fascinating, incredibly, uh, um, incredibly um, deep in terms of appreciating what's really going on. I'd like to start off by, by first of all, thanking Paula and Mosh Weinstein. Um, this is now the 30th yard site. We just passed of Moshe's brother, Mr. Israel Weinstein, Yisrael ben Asher Anshal Alava Shalom. And Be'ezra Sashem, you and the family should have continued chizok, continued gezunt. And Be'ezra Sashem, his neshama should have a continued aliyah. We are also, we are also thinking to, today, um, uh, and we are thanking Suri Stone who is sponsoring today's learning as we mark um, the yard site this coming Tuesday of her father's second yard site of Harav Ruvain Ben Chaim Olav HaShalom and also the just past yard site of Habubi Esther Bas Menachem Mindel and Be'ezra Sashem. Our learning and thinking today should be a Rufua Shlema for Esther Shifra Bas Saralea. Be'ezra Sashem, the family should have continued Chizuk Gazunt and Nechama. Let us learn a little bit together on this topic and I'll start off by a, something I remember when I was an early teen that I read, and it's a funny thing, if you're to ask your average teen today, I doubt that anybody's reading anything, <laughs> forget classics, to, to, to appreciate these ideas. It starts off at, um, in a book called Camelot, The Once and Future King, and the first section is The Sword and the Stone, the very famous section, but there's another three sections to the book, very complicated book. Um, and in the first section, as opposed to the Disneyfication, of what, what it turned into in Water and Merlin, if you re actually read it, it's incredibly beautiful because Merlin is exploring life with this young man. And one of the things he says which always struck me when I read this was the following paragraph. He says, this I put in source one at the bottom of the page, the two lines on the bottom, he says, he talks about the importance of learning. And he says, look at what a lot of things there are to learn. Pure science, the only purity there is. You can learn astron astronomy in a lifetime, natural history in three, Literature in six. And then after you've exhausted a million lifetimes in biology and medicine and theocriticism and geography and history and economics, well, then you can start to make a cartwheel out of the appropriate wood or spend 50 years learning to begin to learn to beat your adversary in fencing. After that, you can start again on mathematics until it's time to learn how to plow. And I always remember thinking about this, the, the statement, the idea that life is not enough. There's not enough time to do all the things that we so want to do. We need so many lifetimes to appreciate, to do all the interests, all the, the um, professions, all the hobbies, all the creativity. It simply cannot be contained in a lifetime. And I don't know if anybody else has the feeling that there just isn't enough time to explore all the magnificent ideas, all the magnificent opportunities in life. And this idea that, that, that was being said over here is something which is sort of a, 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 sort of a, a light upon the, the existence and the truth therefore is is that one lifetime is not enough and therefore we like to let's explore it from the perspective of the fact that there are multiple options it is on zoom yes is um let me let me just see is um is paula not able to get on yes so here we go so the question is is the first question is 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 reincarnation a thing is it, is it a thing does it actually happen and so today we, we, are, we are very much into the modality of measuring things. If we don't have a hypothesis and we can't measure it and it's not on some sort of meter, then it really doesn't seem to, to, to count. 
And so the truth is that the scientific community has spent a lot of time asking this question. There have been a number of books that have come out on this. Very famously, there's a, a, a fellow by the name of Ian, uh, Ian um, Sir Stevenson who wrote a book called 20, suggested, uh, 20 Cases of Suggested Reincarnation. Now, um, he wrote this book. Actually, it's interesting. He did an investigation where he was working with children, um, generally speaking, in cultures, in cultures that, uh, um, that uh, um, were more akin more open to, dis, uh, to, to talking about this topic um, more generally. So which cultures are more open to, to talking about reincarnation? The Eastern cultures, right? So predominantly in the Eastern cultures, this is, this is something which is talked about. And um, in those cultures, um, he interviewed children and, uh, and got a lot of information about how they would talk about having been here before. And he tried to match that up with fascinating results where he sort of cross-examined the, all the details which the child has no way of knowing about and would find the parallel, so to speak, incident that occurs oftentimes, unfortunately, like a violent end of sorts of a previous life and so on. Um, and just, uh, just recently, you know, I, I was reading an um, a article on Psychology Today, which was entitled Evaluating the Evidence for Reincarnation by Steve Taylor, um, Dr. Steve Taylor. And he talks about this very fascinating case called Ryan Hammonds. Ryan Hammonds actually is a, it's a very famous thing. You can watch the the videos here, here in America about this little boy, and he, he told his mother from a very young age that he, you know, he was somebody else, that he, he, had, he had been here before. And, um, and she's, you know, he told her all kinds of things, you know, like when he used to draw the pictures of the family, it was mom, dad, kid, and then another picture next to him. Right? There was something else he used to draw next to him. And he said, that was my old self. And like he talked about this, and he was very into Hollywood. Whenever he would see pictures of Hollywood, he would say, I used to live there. You know, and, uh, and you talked about how he was involved in the acting industry. He used to dance, he used to tap dance, this little boy, Ryan, at the age of, you know, four or five years old. And finally, they, his mother started, like, sort of getting out old reams and old books from the library from about Hollywood. And there was one time he was looking at this um, a review of an old movie called Night After Night, and he was, you know, suddenly became very excited about it. And he pointed out, and he says, that was my friend. And, the, the, and, and the, the, she researched the particular actor that they, they found this person well, it turned out to be a fellow called George. They, 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 they started going into, into the, the history of Hollywood and they found, they found out who he was. He, was a, he happened to be a talent collector whose name was um, Marty Martins. How did it work? One second. They found out who, uh, what was the name. Yeah, Marty Martin was his, was his name in a, in, a, uh, in a previous lifestyle. And, the, and before he even met this, sort of, uh, uh, this connection at the age of five, his mother had a number of all these comments, and they verified 55 of the comments that he had said about this previous lifestyle and, um, and this, uh, his lifetime. He, he was a talent collector. He used to change people's names to, to sort of advance them in Hollywood. And he knew when they brought him back to the, the place which he'd bought as his talent agency, he, he remembered everything about that place. You know, all these fascinating, fascinating things. And as he grew older, he forgot most of this, but he had certain habits which he still had from his, from this, this previous description. Very fascinating. And then, of course, in psychology, is this the power of suggestion? And in Indo, could he have known this? This fellow was not on the internet. There was no Google at the time. There was no other way to find out about it. And they had to research the, you know, obituaries here and, and research there to find this fellow. And the, 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 stories, the stories abound about these kind of things. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot written on this particular topic, very strange stories um, that, that occur. And this is not just from the 20th century beforehand. There's all kinds of fascinating stories. Um, there was a story about a, uh, um, an English couple in, in India in the 1800s that, that had, a, had a child, which unfortunately passed away at a young age, Blanche. She was brought up by a French nurse. 
And then when she uh, had, had a next child with a mother when she was pregnant, had a dream that, uh, that, that, that the, this, the girl came back, Blanche said, I'm coming back, mommy. And then they had a, another girl. <coughs> and later on at the age of six, suddenly this, this, this second, they called her Blanche as well, and this, this second Blanche started, started singing in French, but there was no French access. You know, like things like that, that, that just, these things, these things keep happening. Recently, actually, um, 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 Sari Ochevet Rigler wrote a book called Abinia Before. Um, she actually spoke in our shul just a few, a few months ago, um, upstairs, which was very fascinating. And she has a different theory, which is, um, which is about um, souls of the Holocaust returning. Usually there's a gap in time and there's a gap in experience. So people don't remember back, except perhaps for young children. Um, but there's people who have these flashbacks so, um, to, to having been in some sort of Holocaust experience. And she herself was going through this, so she wrote about it. And then she had thousands of people writing to her saying, we're also experiencing the same thing. So I just give you a sense of this, not just even Jewish people. Like as an example, the example here, but there's many of them. Like she told about Melanie who grew up in Scar uh, Scarsborough, Ontario, Canada, right? So growing up in the 60s, regular life. And then when her mo mother one day was taking her to school for an application to a school process, when she came to the school and she saw the, you know, the crisscross metal fence, she, she refused to go in. And, she, and her mother said, no, come, let's go. We need to meet them. It's going to be very, all right. And she says, I'm scared of the train. And her mother said, where's the, what do you mean? There's no train. This is a school and so on. And she refused to move. And she talked about how that behind the fence, there's a train and she was hiding. In a, in a, um, she was hiding before the train came and they were worried that because she was so young, she was going to make a noise and somebody took her to the train and she knew the train was to her death. And then the mother said, this is nonsense, and so on. Another mother said, she's probably speaking about a previous lifestyle. The mother says, it's nonsense. She saw this on TV. And the girl said, she never talked about it again, but she knows she didn't see it on TV. The, the details were too dark for this. There are all kinds of crazy stories. There's a fellow, you know, if you read these, uh, the, these things, it's very fascinating. There's a fellow who grew up in the Midwest, and, um, and uh, this, this fellow grows up in the... In the, in the Midwest, and uh, a, a non-Jewish person, and he remembers he has this rep repetitive dream that he sees himself, and he sees himself, but he speaks a different language, and uh, he sees himself with, you know, a long beard and, you know, and, uh, and these side locks, he can't understand what they are, and whenever he sees this dream, he sees that, um, he sees that, 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 that he's, he's, he's reading a language which he doesn't understand on a scroll, and he's writing on the scroll. And that's what he keeps seeing, he keeps seeing, and he keeps seeing himself going into, through this gateway, and he sees being led into these, these, the, these chambers, and he, and he sees himself getting onto his knees before the showers start, and calling out to God, saying, I was such a good Jew, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you make me Jewish? And that was the end of his dream. And he, he woke up and he wasn't Jewish, and he ultimately converted back to Judaism in the next round. But there's a lot of very fascinating things. It's worthwhile reading about these things. The, the, it seems that it, it seems that if one does a little bit of reading, there's those people who are very very circumspect about these things. Um, and um, and in the end of the day, there is a lot. There's a lot that's written about this, and it's worthwhile reading about this. The question is, is that is is the following: is what do we make of this? And does Judaism talk about this? You know, there's a lot of experiences talked about. Does Judaism actually talk about this? And the truth is, very little. That's the interesting thing. Is if you are if you do research and you find out which religions you know deal with reincarnation, very much the Eastern religions, anything um, out towards the East, um, but Judaism seemingly not, and that, I think that's perhaps a, a misnomer. Let's let's appreciate why. If you read through the Torah Shabbat the written Torah, you don't see reincarnation explicitly. If you read through the Torah Shabbat you read through the Mishnah and the Gemara. 
you don't see reincarnation. Now, here's the reason why we get, we get a little confused. Because there's another process which we do talk about and is very much a fundamental of our faith. It's the 13th and last of all the principles of faith. And that is, anima amin, be'emunah shleima, I believe, with a full, uh, 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 fully in our Kosh Baruch Hu, that what? Shetiyah techias hamesem. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. That we believe in. That's one of the fundamentals of faith. If you don't believe in that, says the Mishnah, you don't get it. Right? So that's not a good thing. Right? So, so that means to say that there is a point. We are going to come back. There's going to be recompense. There's going to be the body reunites with the soul. It's a very, uh, and that, that is true. And in fact, this is not just a belief that, uh, that, that the Ramam introduced. This is explicit. So as an example, where in Tanakh is it most obvious that there is reincarnation? Sorry, not reincarnation. There's resurrection. That's a remez. Where's the most explicit? So the most explicit expression of resurrection of the dead is found in Yechezkel Periklamet Zion, where it describes that, there are, that Yechezkel goes into the Bikadura, into the valley, and he's, he's told to look through the valley, and there's a wind which comes through the valley, there are these bones which are scattered across, the bones actually recoalesce into structure, then they grow sinews, they grow muscles, they grow flesh, and they stand up, and they move on, and Hashem says, this is a mashal for the house of Israel. And what's interesting about that is, is there's a debate in the Gemara. Did that really happen? Is it a mashal or be'emes haya or be'emes mashal haya? Right, the Gemara describes in Sanhedrin. And then the Gemara goes into details. And the Gemara goes into incredible detail. Who were they? What did they do? Where did they live? Well, right, so the Gemara goes into all these discussions about these people. And there's, the Gemara has a number of suggestions as to who they were. Most of the Gemara suggestions were people who gave up hope in life. Whether it's people who denied Trias Amesim themselves, whether people who sinned terribly at the beginning of the, or the, the, towards the end of the Bayes Shani, or people who left Egypt early, the tribe of Ephraim, who tried to make their way out in, in a sense of desperation, not hope, in a sense of desperation and were killed as they got to the area of Gaza, right before Exodus. A lot of possibilities in the world. Why is this not reincarnation? Let's just appreciate this. This is such an important distinction because people conf conf conflate the terms. Right away. They're the same people. It's the same people. They're coming back as the same, same people. There's resurrection. It happens a lot of times. Eliyahu resurrects the dead. Eliyahu takes a young boy who has died. Elisha, a student, does it two times. But it's the same person coming back to life. These people, it was the same body. It was the same body. It's just the life was given back to them for whatever reason. We believe in Tchiasamesim at the end of time that there's going to be a time where many people are going to come back to life. Yes, we do believe in that. That's that's Tchiasamesim. The complex the complexity over here, just for you. Um, the, 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 the complexity over here is is what about when a person comes back another time, not in the same form? That's called reincarnation. Yes. That's what we have to. Good, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so now, let's let. So, what Yossi is pointing out, and Yossi coming from the Torah Sanistar, points out that there's a lot in Judaism about Gilgul. This process we call reincarnation. I want to first differentiate between resurrection and reincarnation. Resurrection is replete in the Torah Shabbat. Torah Shabbat. We say it every day. We talk about Tchias Amesim. We talk about Hashem, you're going to take my soul and bring it and put it back into me. We say that every single morning. We talk about Tchias Amesim. It's a basic belief. But it's more complex than that. 
And then when it comes to reincarnation, it means to say within multiple lifetimes. And where do you find that in Judaism? You find it in what's called Torah Sanistar, the hidden, the hidden, the hidden, uh, the hidden part of Torah. And in fact, so Yossi, as you're talking about, there's a, the Arizal, 500 years ago, wrote a, well, his student, Rav Chaim Vital, wrote a sefer called the Shara Gilgoyim. I just actually printed it out. Um, it's, uh, um, and it's called the, the Gateway of Gilgul, of, Reen, of Reincarnation. And there's a lot to talk about. What I'd like to demonstrate in the next few minutes is that what actually is hiding in plain sight is, is reincarnation. Meaning to say, if you read through many Gomorrahs and many, say, many um, statements of Chazal, we will see that it's actually right there. They were just coding it deeper, so that perhaps we didn't notice it on the first time. Hang on to the question for us for a second. Um, let's, let, let's take a look at a few examples. Okay, I want to just uh, follow through with a few examples of where this occurs. Take a look at on page 7, the Gomorrah in Shabbos. This is a very, very famous Gomorrah, an extremely famous Gomorrah. But I imagine that nobody has ever read this Gomorrah to this depth. Here's how it goes. This Gomorrah goes about the famous story. Teach me the whole Torah on one foot, he says. And he pushed him away with his building rod. Not, it was a joke. Hillel did convert him. That which is hateful to you, don't do to your friends. Zui kol atorah, kol ve'ilach pirusha hizil. Come on, go learn the rest of the Torah. Fascinating. So it sounds like you know, it sounds like a perhaps irreverent, not serious individual who's trying to come towards Judaism thinks you can summarize all of Judaism in one lesson, and and Hillel says perhaps you can. Shammai is all a different opinion, but folks, it's so much deeper than this. I was reading the Sefer Apiryon, which is Rav Shlomo Gansri's commentary on the Torah, and he quotes the Chavos Yair. And he says, you know what this fellow's question was? This is a deeply philosophical question. He asked the question that Lahavdil T.H. White was asking, and that is, how is it possible for one person to achieve everything they're supposed to? What does one foot mean? In one lifetime. That's his question. How is it possible for one person to do everything they're supposed to in one lifetime? And by the way, we can think about this from the following perspective. A person simply cannot fulfill the 613 mitzvahs. It is not possible for one person to do it because there are kings. There are, there are men. There are women. There are people who have farms. There are people who have businesses. Every one of them demands different requirements from them depending on where and who they are. That which means to say it would be impossible, it would be implausible to suggest that a person can fulfill the Torah on, on, um, on one foot, so to speak, on one lifetime. The only alternative, therefore, is Gilgal. The only possibility is, is multiple lifetimes. Says Hillel, is there a possibility? Is there a possibility of one lifetime? And he says, yes, there is. What's the key? He says, the key is that if you're willing to work with other people, if you're willing to care enough about other people, then you have the fighting possibility of doing it all in one lifetime because they can supplement and complement what you're trying to achieve. Isn't that amazing? That's what the conversation is over here, as an example. This is what, the, this is what Rosh, uh, the Aperion suggests over here. Can we do this? Yes, as a unit, but not as individuals, as a larger unit, as the nation of Klai Yisrael. We cannot simply do it as one or within one round. Before we go for, further, I would like to acknowledge the fact that not everybody agrees with the concept of reincarnation as a Jewish tradition. 
It is true that, in fact, in most traditional texts, so if you go through the Tanakh itself, there is an absence of explicit mention of reincarnation. And, in fact, if you go through the Gomorrah and Mishnah, as we discussed, there is a lack of explicit mention of it. Of course, when you get to Arizal and the Vilna and the later more Kabbalistic teachers, they explain how the, this is what the Gomorrah actually meant in very many ways, as we will continue to explore. But it is worthwhile noting that there is a great absence. And in fact, most of the Rishon and most of the medieval commentators don't in fact address reincarnation at all. Um, one exception should be noted is from the Gaonic period is Rav Sadia Gaon. Rav Sadia Gaon in his classic work, Emunas Videos, talks about this in the sixth section where he describes, and to quote, he says the following. He, say, he talks about these people who are called Yehudim, Shnikraim Yehudim, these people call themselves Jews. They say that that uh, the following idea He says There are those who say that a soul can return into from Ruven to Shimon to Levi to Yehuda different lives And it even is, it can occur that a human soul can return in the form of an animal this is all nonsense and confusion. And he goes on to explain in four steps each of the proofs for reincarnation and how these are not, whether it's philosophical, whether it is scientific, whether it's spiritual proofs, he points out that these are all meaningless. It's worthwhile noting that there is such an opinion. However, in, in all honesty, most of the Rishonim, most of the um, classic commentators on the Gomorrah, the Rambam, the Ramban, don't actually mention reincarnation. They don't address it head on. Whether that could be because it is a hidden, a Torah Sanistar idea, which isn't explicitly revealed in print at this point in time, or because that the, the timing has not arrived for this deeper concept to be unfolded until the time that there's a, a revelation of the more Kabbalistic spiritual ideas of the Zohar, which is replete with this idea. But as it, may, it is worthwhile knowing, although the Emunos Vedeos Rav Sajir Go'on um, is a certainly extremely significant opinion, um, generally speaking, it is seen um, as a Da'as Yachid, as a singular opinion in opposition to this notion um, Bichlal in, gen in, in general as a whole. We'll now continue just look, examining some of the other perspectives that are in fact indicative of there being re uh, reincarnation. Let's take a little further. Famously, and this we, we talked about a few months ago, but famously, if we look at the, 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 the book of Yonah for, for, for a moment, this is a very famous idea, but it's so important to, to, to reiterate. If you just look at the cast of characters and say, okay, who, who's, you know, when, when, my, when my little daughter came back from school to age of four, you know, so she came back with the sticks and the characters of Yonah around Yom Kippur time. So who, who belongs on the sticks? Like, who are the little images? Right? So, of course, there's the whale. Great. That's, the whale's very important. Who else is in the, in the, in the book? The sailors. Who else? The what? The Kikayon, good, but we've forgotten Yona. Yona should be there too, right? There's also the captain, if you want to separate him from the, the, the things. Who else? King of Ninveh, people of Ninveh, maybe even the animals of Ninveh, right? We can, we can sort of create a picture of this, you know, we can figure out how many different people in the cast are characters, how far they're up they feature in the cast, you know, when, when they're doing that. These days they don't even do this at the beginning of, of, of movies because people don't have to, prep, uh, you know, patience to see who's, who's, who's there. We just, you know, feed me the entertainment. Right, so but but like I mean, the old days where you'd have a cast of characters and you see who's who's coming in, right? So, the, so says the the Vilna God in his pirush. He has a very short pirush. It's very it's it's pretty accessible. Is he says the following? 
He says that perhaps we, we mis misunderstood the entire cast of characters. He says that the book of Yonah, in fact, is a mashal, is a parable about reincarnation in and of itself. It's a pr the process of reincarnation. Let's, let's go through the different steps. So we have this, this soul called Yonah. Yonah literally is a, a dove, right? A dove is something which is sort of flutters away. It's sort of lighter than the ground. It, 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 it overpowers gravity. It's stuck now. It's caged into reality and it's given a mission. What's the mission of this particular soul that's under discussion? What's the mission of the soul? It has, to give, it has to give a message to rectify somebody else, right? So somebody else is another a nation that's not doing so well. They need a message. Go and give that message. This soul does not want to go for that path. It is not the path of least resistance. It's very hard to have that confrontation in our own lives. We know how much we avoid confrontation. So this soul does not want confrontation, and therefore it moves to, where does it leave from? It goes, it goes to where? So it aims to get to Tarshish, but where does it leave from? Yafo, right? In those days, Tel Aviv wasn't as big a port, right? So they went, they went to Yafo, um, the port of Jaffa, the old city of, um, of Jaffa. So it says the Vilna God, this is coding in the idea of Yafo is beauty, Yafe, beauty enough. In, it tries to distract itself from its mission by finding the things which are much more enjoyable. Here's, this soul's having a martini by the poolside. It's not doing what it should be doing, right? And it goes off to Tarshish, which in Tanakh language is always a place where you find gold. It's the place where you, which is the place where in the times of Shlomo Melech there was trade um, for, for, beauty, uh, for precious gems and gold. It was much easier to pursue that than it was to pursue its, its, its message. And which means to say is that then God sends out the storm and the storm is in, uh, uh, um, engulfing the boat. What is the boat? The boat is the body which is trying to protect or is the carrier of this soul ultimately on its journey in life which it's going in the wrong direction for. And so God sends reminders. What are those reminders? What is the storm? The reminders is pain, suffering. And so this body is now being racked with pain. And we could give all the names and unfortunately of the diseases and the things that this, this body might be going through. And it's trying all it can. It throws things overboard. The sailors are on deck. They're pulling out the sails. They're trying to get the water back overboard. Or, and this is all, says the Vilnagon, they're finding practitioners. They're finding people who can help. Maybe we can finally heal this body. Maybe there's a way to get through this. And it doesn't work. You know why? Because the reason for this was not the storm. And it wasn't the inability of the sailors to find the right practitioners or suggestions. The reason is, is because of the soul that's sleeping on the third deck down. And when they wake up the soul and they say, what are you doing? They suddenly realize that the reason this is all happening was not because of their ill, Ill at ease or their lack of skill on the sea. It was because the primary passenger wasn't awake, wasn't doing what it was supposed to. And they do a lottery and it finds out that it wasn't because they didn't exercise. And it wasn't because of the eating habits. It was because the soul wasn't doing what it should have done. And ultimately, they ask the soul, what should we do? And it says the soul, throw me overboard. And that's what they do. And, and they feel very upset about this, and they ultimately do. So now, what is the nimshal of that, spa that, that moment? So like, this is always, always fascinates me is because we never like to imagine this part of the mashal. Because we always like happy endings. And it seems like Yona has a happier ending. But the truth is, is the throwing of that, the soul overboard means the separation of soul and body, which means that Yona dies. That's, that's, what, that's what happens, which is a little bit of a problem because Sefer Yonah actually has four chapters and this happens the, towards the end of the first chapter. So how is there a continuation of the story? 
So the answer is, is that when he's swallowed by a fish, and if you look at the language used in Tanakh, the language used to describe Yonah is he prays out and he calls out from, me from the depths of Sha'ol. Sha'ol does mean, it, it, practically speaking, the fish's you know, innards, but Sha'ol actually has another meaning in, 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 in Jewish ide- ideology, and that is the netherworld. So he's calling out from a world of limbo, he's calling out from a world in which he did not do his bidding. He did not do what he should have been doing, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends him back from the fish, back onto dry land, which means that Yonah says the Nagan got a second chance. And this time round, he did his bidding. This time round, notice by the way the Vilnagon says, it is a, the same Yona, it's the same soul. Put back on earth to do the same bidding, and he goes and he does his bidding. That's what's happening in, in this. So much so, says the Vilnagon, that perhaps this is what is at stake in, um, you know what? Yeah, um, a, okay, we'll, we'll explore one, one idea here before going deeper. But uh, so, so that he goes and he does his bidding, he gives a message to Nineveh, they're affected, they do their job, amazing. And then afterwards, Yonah sits on the, on, the, on, the, on the outskirts of the city, and there's a whole business in the sun and the wind, and, the, and, he, and he's suffering, and you can see sort of like this self-reflection, this, this trauma that he's going through, because, you know, it seems that it was so easy for them, and he's having all, these, all this pain, and he calls out to God, and he says, why is this happening? And God then gives him this message through Kikayan. What's going on in that conversation? So there's a few things going on. We'll explore one, one aspect of it. The Vilna Gaon points to a very fascinating Gomorrah, which talks about a discussion that, that Moshe Rabbeinu has with the Almighty. This happens in Pasha's Kisisa, where Moshe Rabbeinu asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu, show me your honor, um, Hashem, tell me something. What was that he was asking for? The Gomorrah debates as to what it was precisely Moshe Rabbeinu was asking for and whether he was answered. The Gomorrah suggests the following, in Source 7 on page 8. There are three things that, that Moshe Rabbeinu asked from God, and he was granted. Um, oh, so the, 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 the first two have to do with Israel and its uniqueness. Those were granted, and there's a debate about the third one. What's the third one? He asked to understand the ways of God. The question that we all ask, the question we all ask in different words and perhaps in different times in our lives. But he was granted it according to this opinion. How is it that there are righteous people who have good, there are righteous people who have bad? There's an evil person who has good and an evil person who has bad in life. What's he really asking? Why bad things happen to good people? No, yeah, so actually it's more than that. I, it's, 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 more, it's more complex than that. He's saying, he's saying that it's arbitrary. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, I only see the evil prosper and the righteous suffer. He's saying, I see all of it. There's four quadrants, right? There's good people who get good things, good people who get bad life. Bad people who get good life, bad people who get bad life. And I see all of it. Which means to say, it's worse than theodicy. What he's saying is, it's arbitrary. That's the problem that Moshe Rabbeinu is arriving at. Which means to say that it doesn't really matter what I do because I can choose any form of lifestyle and I have equal chances of being in either of those quadrants no matter how good or how bad I am. That's the question he's really asking HaGadosh Baruch which is a terrifying question to ask and it's a question that we word differently sometimes in the way that we ask things like why now God me in the tire? Right? So, and, that's the, and those are the easier cases we ask about, right? But uh, the, 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 there's, there's more complicated questions that we ask and, and rightfully so. Answers the Gemara, there's a few answers, so don't get stuck on this. But the Gemara gives the first answer. The answer is Moshe Tzadik Vatov Lai Tzadik Ben Tzadik, Tzadik Varala Tzadik Ben Rasha, Rasha Vatov Lai Tzadik Varasha Varala, Rasha Ben Rasha. Okay, this, this answer really never made sense to me. I never understood this Gemara. What the Gemara is saying? The Gemara is saying is, 
is why is the Yavad Tzaddik who's suffering? Because their parents, they were no good, right? And that's why you can have a righteous person doing everything right now, but they, they came from bad stock or whatever that means, and now they suffer. And the vice versa, you have this terribly evil person prospering greatly. Why? Because they came from a great family. That just doesn't make sense, right? This Gemara never made sense. What, what, what does it have to be? Why should the parents have such an influence? Yes, we know that the parents have an incredibly large impact on the children's upbringing. But in the end of the day, says the Vulnagon, we completely misread this Gemara. This is why, by the way, folks, I, I had this question on this Gemara for decades. I never understood this Gemara. And then suddenly the Vulnagon says, we always misread this Gemara. What's the Gemara talking about? It's not talking about parents. It's talking about iterations, which means, what does it mean? At Tzaddik ben Rasha. That means to say, Yona Aleph, Yona 1, didn't do what he was supposed to. He wasted his life. He went out to sea looking for all kinds of gold. And that was what he did. And therefore, he disappeared. That was the end of his life. He came back again. He did his bidding. And he had a really tough time. And life was really difficult. And he says, God, I did everything I was supposed to. All the ducks lined up. I listened to your word. I understood who I was supposed to be. I reformed myself. And I'm suffering. What is going on here, God? What's the answer? Sadiq ben Rasha. That doesn't mean to say your parents are bad. It means to say that the last time you came back, there's something you didn't do right, which you're fixing now in this iteration. Rasha. The next sentence, right? Rasha was you. Rasha was you. That's the point is that something now you are here to fix because of what you went through beforehand. Which, by the way, this is just this is jaw-dropping, because that means to say the scope of justice is much larger than meets the eye. We usually measure things within, you know, a few minutes. That's, you know, that scope of our, 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 our patience. But, like, then, then we get more mature, and we realize there's years, and there's bigger stories, and there's lifetimes. But the Gemara is saying it's much bigger than that. How do you possibly know the answer if you haven't actually gone back and figured out how far back it goes? Let's take, let's take this a little, a little further. There are a lot of questions which are asked about this, and there's a lot of practical questions which are asked. So people say, you know, so how many, how, no, how many new souls are coming down today? The Arizal in Seah Shara Gulim, quoting the Zohar, says, none. There's no new souls coming down, and there haven't been since the destruction of the Besamekdash. Which means to say, what does that mean? That means to say that there are parts of souls coming back down now, because they haven't yet done their bidding. They haven't yet fixed everything they need to. Which, just to, to clarify that, it, just to appreciate this, Shara Gulim is an incredibly large work. And it's incredibly dense and it's incredibly hard to understand. But just to appreciate the complexity of this, he says that there are no new souls coming from the level of what's called Shara Atzilos, which is the highest of the four dimensions. There are souls coming from the Yetzira, the Bria Yetzira and Asiya worlds. Okay, there are souls coming from the lower levels of worlds, which means pieces of lower souls, not the highest most soul because those were exhausted. All souls were seen as encapsulated in Adam Arishon, in the, the first unique um, Bria, and Adam and Eve together, back to back. And everything else is an expression of that. All the, all the people at Har Sinai were seen, the sum total were called chemical elements, so to speak, metaphysical elements, which were at Har Sinai, and they're all being fixed and going through their process. We're just in the process of, so to speak, cycling them through to, to fix all the pieces throughout the time. So just in terms of that, what was that? We're not recycling, but actually yeah, correct, correcting the pieces as well. Let's go a little further. People ask, what about, what about marriage? Right, so this is a question which happens all the time. So, uh, so you know, if a person is coming back multiple times, well, how does that work with, uh, with soulmates precisely? So, the, the, uh, so the, the Arizal says that in the end of the day, perhaps we misread that Gomorrah. The Gomorrah talks about how Zivug Rishon 
is, uh, you know, the, the, the bus call goes out, and the bus call goes out, bus and the bus body and the plani, and these souls are, so to speak, aligned with each other. And the Gemara then says, but wait a second, it says, Kosha, um, that is Ivugam, Kriyas Yamsov, that souls uniting is as hard as the splitting of the sea. So the Gemara re- re- responds by saying, what's that referring to? Zivug Shani. So usually we, say, we understand that to mean, the way that it's typically understood to mean, is that there's a soulmate that a person is predestined to meet. But then there's ultimately, that doesn't always work out and there's complications. And so then it might be that there's a Zivug Shani. And the Zivug Shani requires work. It's not as easy. It requires a lot of, a lot of work. That's what's generally understood. It says Arizal, perhaps we misunderstood the Gemara. Zivug Rishon means to say that in the first iteration, when a soul or a, a soulmate comes down and they find each other, that's the easier time. Sometimes it will be that one of the partners didn't fulfill their, their, their bidding, comes back and the other partner has to come back because of them. And they have to find their partner a second time round in the new lifetime, and it's much harder the second time round. Zivuk Shani does not mean a different person, but a different iteration in, in, in life as well. Comple- a complex. Now, just to, to, to appreciate the, this as well, hang on, I want... What's that word you keep saying? We don't hear it. Iteration. Another, another round. Another... Another, another round of the, of, the, of the soul. Am I speaking English, folks? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another cycle, another, another, another processing of, 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 this, of the soul. Um, how many times does the soul need to come back, as an example? So thank you. Moshe Yeager has given me so many incredible comments on this. I want to thank Dr. Yeager. He gave me an incredible essay that he translated, the number of the Tikvat Shani. And he also just gave me last Shabbos a, a beautiful a, a mimer of the Ben Yehoyada, the Ben Yishchai, in his commentary on the Gemara at the end of Chulin. The Gemara, the Gemara there is dealing with another theodicy issue about a child who goes to, to, to chase away the mother bird on the bidding of the parents and dies on the way back. And Elisha ben Avuya witnesses this and says, Leis din veleis die, and there can't be a judge and there can't be justice in this world because of this terrible situation. And he's rightfully pained by that situation. And the Gemara says that perhaps he misunderstood the Pasuk when it says that the man yitavalach, um, that it's going to be good for you and the varach to yomim, and that you're going to have long days because of these two mitzvahs of Shiloh HaKain and Kibbut HaVayim, the only two mitzvahs of the Torah promises longevity. And this child, God forbid, um, passed, passed away right after doing these two mitzvahs or in the process of doing these mitzvahs and did not have longevity. And the Gemara says it's referring to the, the world to come. And the, the question that the Ben Yishchai asks is that if you actually look at the, the way it's described, Yitavlach Varach to Yomim, that it, uh, uh, the, the order is out of sync. Why is it that we have the, the Yitavlach, the goodness, and then the long days? It should be long days and then goodness, right? That's the way it should really work out. And he says because it depends how many times a person needs to come back. That means to say that if a person has done what they, they're, they're bidding and, and they, they manage to come back two, three times, four times, and they do everything they should, then they, then they get repose. They, they're able to rest. They, they, they're able to, to have many or whatever time means in an infinite space. They're able to have space. They're able to have repose. While other people could be coming back, he says, hundreds of times because they're just not getting it right. It is worthwhile noting that there are people who are so corrupt that after three times, based on the Pasuk, that's, uh, that's, that's described in this in Sefer Amos, can come back and they're so corrupt that they don't warrant coming back because they just didn't do it, right? They wasted those, those lifetimes. And if that's the case, there's no improvement, there's no return. Remember that Yona actually is saying, what does Yona do? He doesn't just come back, he begs to come back, right? And there's multiple forms of, 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 of Gilgal as well. There's Ibor where there's, there's a part of a soul attaching to another, to another person in a specific way. There's multiple different ways. It's a much more complex, um, uh, much more complex than meets the eye. Um, um, does it have to be in people? The answer is no. 
Can it be Jew to non-Jew? Yes. So what does it mean, uh, by the way, in, in inanimate objects? The Arizal goes through specific steps and he talks about these things. He says, this is a, a scary one, a person who, um, who is responsible for feeding other people treif, non-kosher food, will reappear as a rock, as a domain. They have something, a tikkun anefesh they need to come back in. They're not coming back as a human being. And he goes through all the averos. He talks about, um, no, I apologize, that's as a leaf, as a leaf. Um, that, that needs to wither and, and, and go through its processing and, and, and its suffering. He talks about those who have to come back as an evan, as rocks. Those have to come back as mules. Those are, it's, it's not as simple as, as meets the eye, the suffering um, of the, and, and the processing of the soul. And the question I'd like to ask over here is, is you know, uh, first of all, I think it's important to appreciate this is not a, chi- a, a, a childish topic. This is a topic which requires a lot of, uh, a lot of depth and a lot of appreciation. If you read through the Shara Gil Gulim, this is a very, very, very complex topic. This is, not, this is not something that just happens. It's not something that a person just warrants. The, how it happens, which part of the soul is coming back, what is coming there to be metakein, very complex. The question is, is why do we learn this? Like, what, 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 what's the point of all of this? Elida, yes. I just wanted to ask, there are people who have uh, cardiac events on operating tables. Some of them are brought back after a long time. Some people describe what they saw during what So what, what is the status of those people? Like, are they Oh no! So that's that's that, that would you know that, that's a person obviously who has a near death experience. There's many like you saying there are many many accounts of near death experiences. But that's the person themselves. That's that's in a certain sense their soul is moving away and then for whatever reason is allowed back. But that's the same. It's the same person. The same memories. They are just getting access to uh, to something which would have continued and then they're coming back. What we're talking about over here is is where another person a few generations later is born and they carry with them the baggage of a previous lifestyle, and most of the times, they don't even remember. And, that's the, and actually, that's the, that's the point of it, is they don't remember, they're not supposed to remember, and they are now coming here to fix something that wasn't done correctly last time. This is all very nice. I want to get to one point. This is, people are fascinated by this because in general, people are fascinated by the paranormal. People are fascinated today by things which are beyond the, our senses. But there's, that's not the reason why Judaism talks about it. That's, that's really not the reason why Judaism talks about it. And this, is, this, this to me is the most critical point of anything that we learn today. Is, is it a thing? It is a thing. Are there some people who are very circumspect about it? Absolutely. Is it, is it, has it been documented? For sure. Does Judaism talk about it? Yes. Oh, mostly in the Torah Sinister. And in the Torah Sinister, suddenly you realize that a lot of what Chazal is saying actually was talking about this, coded in. But here's the question. Why is this important? And this comes back to the Vilna Gaon's point. The Vilnagon's point is this is not this is not important because you know because it's it's fascinating to talk about topics which are beyond us. It's it's a very practical topic, and this to me is is the critical part. It goes to to Gomorrah, which is also a very famous Gomorrah, which again we also perhaps misread or didn't appreciate fully. The Gomorrah is in a Ruvin Davud Gimel The Gomorrah talks about the following situation, and this to me is the crux of the matter. The Gomorrah says. The houses of Hillel and Shammai argued on the following topic for two and a half years. It is better for a person not to be created than to be created. Other parties said that it is better to be created rather than not to be created. 
that took a vote on this philosophical question. And, um, and they, they came to the conclusion that the human enterprise was probably not a good investment, right? And so it should not have been created. However, but now that a human being is created, a person should look into their actions, that a person should scrutinize or perhaps look at the good or the bad, missed opportunities or, 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 mis, or misdeeds. Here's the interesting thing. So we take this as like a little bit of a depressing Gomorrah about the, the, the human enterprise. So I always imagine this as like sort of like, you know, they're having the board meeting, you know, and they have this big whiteboard and they divide it into two and they, they say, you know, all the good things human beings did and all the bad things human beings did, right? And then what happens is they have a chance and they have a, the note taker gets up to the board and he says, okay, let's put up on the board all the, all the bad things that human beings have done. They talk about war and genocide and pillaging and, you know, chemical weapons and all the things that go up on that side of the board, you know, and, and starvation and ignorance and all the things and running water. And then you, on the other side of the board, they put up all the good things in the hospitals and the charities and the non-for-profit organizations and, uh, you know, water in Africa and all the things that human beings have done, which is, which is fantastic. And they say, well, let's now, let's give a, a waiting system. So they say, well, you know, a war, like, you know, let's uh, World War I, you know, that's a very significant, you know, atrocity, you know, t- turning, uh, turning technology into, you know, gas and, 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 and killing people in the millions. And so, that, that, so that's a really pretty big, bad, bad one. And then you talk about, you know, these benevolent societies, that's incredible. And so then they, after waiting each of the events, and they, you know, they put, a, they, they put a line at the bottom, they say, what number do we have for good? What number do we have for bad? And it turns out that was a matter of debate because maybe they were debating on the weight or the amount of uh, things that should be on that board. And at the end of the day, they did a vote and the vote came out that there was too much on the bad side of the board than there was on the good side of the board. To, if you were an investor and you were saying, would you invest in, in, a, in, in an enterprise like this that could go awry, you know, could kill millions of people in, in two, two world wars. On the other hand, you know, they can have amazing hospital systems and they can be so kind to each other and help elderly people across the street. Right, so they said it's just not worth investment. Right, just, if you were an investor, you wouldn't you wouldn't invest in this because there's too much at stake. Right, that's, that's what sounds like the Gomorrah is saying, which is pretty depressing. Um, but in the end of the day, it, it, it is a pretty true Reality, we live in a little bit of a bubble here. We're blessed to be in, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful country. Most of the world does not live like we do. <laughs> Most of the world does not have the, the, the amenities, they're not running, running water and electricity. They suffer from diseases that are, that, that, that are curable. And there's, a, there's a lot of problems in the world around us. There's a lot of suffering, right? So, so th- and that's, that's the reality. Even today, 2020, uh, 2023. Um, so the, 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 that's what it seems like. Says the Vilna God, not at all. That's not the way to read the Gemara at all. The Gemara is not <coughs> talking about creation. It's talking about recreation. Not recreation. Recreation. Okay, there's a, there's a hyphen in there. What does that mean? The Gemara is saying like this. Is it noach adam shenivra? Is it a good thing to be yona beis? To be the second yona, to come back, to be recreated? And the answer is No! Do everything first time round. Don't get recreated. Don't come back. Do everything you should in this world, in this iteration. I realize, by the way, that, that, that the word I've used, actually, I, I, a number of people don't appreciate, don't understand it. So in this ra- round, I actually remember another, another few people were confused about this word. In this, it, this, this round, do everything round one. If you happen to come back, meaning to say, if you're here again, then what should you do? And this is the critical part. Yefash peshumasov and yemash peshumasov. What, what does this mean? It says the Vilna God. By the way, this is written explicitly, accessibly in the Vilna God's writings on Sefer Yonah. He says a very simple thing. You want to know why you're here? Don't go and have hypnosis and figure out where you lived. That's not what the Gomorrah was saying. 
The Gemara is not saying have transmi- transmigrational therapy, right? And figure out what it was and what colors I liked in a previous lifestyle. That's not the point. That's not what we're meant to, which is why we don't remember it. The only thing we're supposed to be doing is figure out what is most difficult for us. It says the Vilna Gon, Yufash Bezhra means to say, the reason why we're here again, if we're here again for a reason, which is probably most of us, that means to say is that we have something to fix. Figure out what it is that we're fixing. Figure out what is the hardest for us to do. And that is why we're here again. And, so, and that means to say that what we're best at probably means something which we already did and fixed. Which is so countercultural today. Because what does Western society say? At the apex of Maslow's hierarchy, what are we all aiming for is... Self-actualization. Find the nexus between talent and opportunity and keep doing that. It's like, well, that, that was not what the Gomorrah said. The Gomorrah said is, there's a reason why we're here and we have to figure out what the reason is. And the reason is not trying to figure out what the lifestyle was when we're in Bangladesh, I may have lived. No, the point is trying to understand what it is that is hardest for me, what is the darkest corner of my soul, and how am I going to fix that? Which means, by the way, just, just, to, just to appreciate this, there are many, many reasons why, why people come back. Some reasons could be because of an Avera they did, because of some sort of sin that they did that they need to fix. Sometimes it could be because of a missed opportunity they didn't do something that they need to do. Sometimes it could be to find a soulmate, is, de- uh, is, uh, is described. They missed a, a, a union with, with somebody that they needed to, uh, to be with. There's another, another possibility is that a person could come back because of another person which means to say that there's somebody else who needs their tikkun and you are in their closest network and you're back again to facilitate. They hurt you in such a way in a previous lifestyle, in such a way that they cannot get a tikkun, they cannot fix it without you, without being benevolent back again to you and you come back for that as well. There are so many different iterations and possibilities as to what this, what, what this can mean as well. Moesh, yes? Yeah, but you, you mentioned beforehand that uh, when you're coming back, it's to fix something that you didn't do in the previous uh, Correct. Life. Well, what if you come back as an inanimate uh, type of a situation? That's, that's not for fixing things, that's for suffering. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are, there are times where a person has to go through a certain process, and that process is, uh, is a process of fixing, which is not, uh, not for doing. But if a person has the schuss of coming back, animate. Um, then, then that's, that's what it is. And if we're having this discussion, we're in that category. So, uh, so that means to say that there's a lot we need to be fixing our, ourselves as well. Michael, yeah. Why would they come back at all? What was that? Why would they come back at all? It's, it's the suffering for an action which was not fixable in an in a easy way. For actions where you hurt other people in such a way that it's not so easy just to fix, yeah. What was the Ahavnia face hill? Because if you tell me it's all about as to whether or not she get right the first time, who would argue? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Good question. Is it possible? And it may relate back to the Machlokas of Shahil and Shaman the Ger. Yes. So, the, the Gemara Tzadik Ben Tzadik. So, if someone was a Tzadik in a prior life, why are they coming back? Good. So, it could be that there's elements of the soul. So, just I appreciate this. That there, because as we learned beforehand, there's multiple tiers of a soul, right? There's Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida, the five basic levels of a soul. It could be that a person actualized themselves on one level of the soul, but not on another level of the soul. And that also may relate to the type of Torah and mitzvahs which they perform in the world. As an example, what's talked about is, is that, the, the, let's say, the Torah, the Ruach, which is the emotional level of a person's soul, is, uh, it, it finds actualization in the Torah Shabal Peh, as an example, in the oral Torah. The, Torah, the Neshama, 
which is a higher level of soul, finds more actualization than Torah's Hanistar in the hidden parts of Torah. So the, the Nefesh finds more actualization than Torah's Shevichsav, which means to say it could be that a person actualizes themselves in a certain domain, but not in others. Right, and this is by the way in the Nas, we're talking about the Nas, we're not talking about violent murders and terrible crimes committed, which is also a reason, but, uh, but which we're, we're talking about where a person may have missed a little piece of something which a person needs to come back for as well. Um, now, I, yes, Yana. Just, uh, <coughs> I thought of when, you know, uh, when we talked about this, is that the Kelman and Rachel prayer. Yes. And at the end, we answer the Mishkavah. Oh, the Mishkavah, yes. So we're praying that, he, that the soul does not have to come back. Yes, that that, is, and that's precisely what, well, that's precisely what the Ben Ishchai was saying. What he's saying is that what does it mean that a person should hopefully be able to do what they need to do in this world, not to have, to have repose, to have Shabbos, to be able to not, not, not have to, uh, to have the, the difficulty of, of return to be a Yona too. Um, essentially, in, the, in this world, which is which is what's what's being described over here, and I just want to just uh, co- uh, conclude with the with the following observation: There are some people who really, you know, don't appreciate this topic. It just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect, click click with 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 a lot of people, and um, and there are there are other people who are incredibly fascinated by this. Um, it, one should be aware is that predominant and mainstream Jewish thinkers like the Vulnagon and the, the, the Arizal and Rechaim Vital talk about this and have written extensively about this and it's not as simple as meets the eye. It's not simply about, you know, journeys and transmigration as perhaps we see in the secular culture or the Eastern cultures. It's much more complex than that. Um, and the main focus of any of the writers in this is not to figure out who we were but to figure out what we're we supposed to be doing here which actually aligns itself very much with what the Musar movement is doing. The Muslim movement is essentially saying, why am I here? What am I doing? Without the baggage of, because of something else. So sometimes it's easier just to live with that. Some people feel it's much easier to live with that than all this baggage. But it should be understood that sometimes it's helpful to know what the baggage, not know what the baggage is, but know that there is baggage. Sometimes it's helpful to appreciate that there's reasons why I'm going through things and I don't have the scope of understanding. There's an assault here I was speaking to. Uh, there's, there's a very special person um, whose first yachtsite is coming up. Um, her name is Bryna Greenberg, and I'm gonna, uh, which is going to be happening just in, 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 um, in, in, in a few weeks' time. And, um, and I was just learning a lot more about her. And I was speaking to her mother just last week, and she said an amazing thing to me. She passed away at the age of 22. Young, beautiful, wonderful, inspiring person. Inspiring person. Her mother said to me, she said, you know, I felt that she was always living an accelerated life. She was always ahead of how old she was at the times. And I look back and realize that, that she was much more mature at the age of, uh, the age of six. I was treating her like the age of 12 already. There was something she was doing, which, and she said to me, it is clear to me that she was here as, a, as, as a, there was a journey that she had to make and there was something special that she had to achieve and it was accentuated in her disease, in the, what she went through in the last few years and she shone, what an amazing human being. But it was clear to her and to her that was very comforting to know that this Nisham had 22 and a half years to be here and that was, that was her way of, of processing, understanding that she had the zechus of interacting with such a special Nishama. As, as an example with the Ramchal, the Ramchal passed away at the age of 39 and we say to ourselves, how much more would he have written? Rav Moshe Chayim how much more would he have written? And the, 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 the answer is, is that many people say that he was the Gilgal of the Nisham of Rabbi Akiva. The first 39 years of Rabbi Akiva's life, which was not actualized, was actualized another round. And that's why the Ramchal's buried into burial next to Rabbi Akiva, as it happens to be in that, 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 that burial. 
But I'd like to close with perhaps a story. I mentioned the story before, and, but to me it's always a very meaningful story. And that is, is the following. And I, I beg your endurance if, if, you, if, you, if you remember this. Um, but the story goes, it goes as follows. There's a king, and the king is an elderly, wise, and appreciated king. He is beloved by the kingdom. He is, he is careful in his decision-making, and he is not self-centered, and he, he does things for the better of his subjects. But it turns out the one deficiency he has is he does not have children to be able to bequeath his kingdom to. And so he, he, he sets up the following competition. He tells that all young teenagers are supposed to come to his palace um, on a particular given date, and he's going to give them a test through which they will perhaps either um, have the opportunity of becoming the future king in his stead. And everybody you can imagine is excited about this opportunity. Meritocracy at its best. And um, there he comes into the, to the, the large courtyard and the king gets up on the podium and he says, hear ye, hear ye, which apparently you have to say if you're a king, and, uh, um, or at least a royal messenger. And he says, the, the person who will be assumed the, the throne of the, king next, uh, of the kingdom in the next uh, round will be a person who manages to follow the following experience. I'm going to give out a seed to everybody over here, and I'm going to ask you to plant it, to look after it, and to return to me with that seed, what it's grown into in one year's time. And that's what he does, and he gives it around. There's a little boy, Samuel, who's very excited about this. He gets his seed, and he's very careful. He, he, you know, he holds it in his hands, and he doesn't let it his hands open. He gets home, and he plants it in, his, in the, pot, uh, the little pot by the windowsill by his bed, and he waters it every single day. And a week goes by, and two weeks go by, and the seed is not sprouting. And so he thinks that maybe it's the wrong place. He puts it perhaps in a more sunny spot by the kitchen counter, counter and he waters it and he waters it and nothing happens a week later. And then he, he heard that if you speak to your plants, maybe it works better. So he speaks to his plants, he reads it poetry, and nothing seems to happen. Weeks go by and at a certain point, you know, you hope and you hope and you hope and you realize that your hope's not happening. And then he, uh, he, uh, um, he, 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 he gives up. And, um, he, and it, come, it comes 11 months later, the, 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 palace, the palace court just comes through town saying that anybody who, is, who, um, who, who had taken a seat needs to return and report to the king. And he ignores it and his mother hears about it and says, no, Samuel, you should go, you should go. And he's like, what, are you going to take my brown pot plant with nothing in it to the king? And she says, no, you, the royal edict is you have to go, you have to go. And so he goes and he's, he's so embarrassed and he comes and he's watch, watching everybody else. And this person's got like, you know, a palm tree growing out of theirs. And this one's got like, you know, a beautiful vine with purple flowers. And, Everybody else, this guy's got something which is so heavy that three people have to carry, you know, like, and he's walking in there with his little pot, you know, and so he comes to the royal courtyard and the king, you know, the king guys everybody and there's a, the, the trumpet sound and the king goes around and he examines everybody's things and he's looking at this one and he's looking at that one, he's looking at that one and he nods approvingly and then he comes over to Samuel and he looks at Samuel and looks down and there's a pot and he's so embarrassed and this is the most embarrassing moment of his entire life and then the king goes on. The king then says, I'd like to, 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 uh, to come to the podium, this young man Samuel. And so he brings this boy, this boy up and he's like, this is it. I'm, I'm going to be like humiliated publicly. This is the, the worst moment in his, in his entire life. And the king says, raises his hand and he says, I want to introduce you to the future king of the realm. What is the, the boy almost drops dead. What was going on? And everybody else is looking at each other and he says, I gave everybody um, boiled seeds. I boiled every single one of these seeds. Not a single seed could have, could, have, uh, could, have plant, uh, could have sprouted, which means that when I look around the room, I'm not sure what you got to grow, but it certainly wasn't what I gave you. And he says, and my test over here was not to see what you could grow. My test was to see who was the most honest with dealing with their situation. And that's the person I want to be the, 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 uh, 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 the, the king of the realm. And I always think about this story when it comes to this as well. Sometimes we look around in life and we say, I should be growing a bougainvillea. I should be growing a palm tree. I should be doing all these things because that person, this person, this person. And then we realize that maybe the seeds in that area in my life were boiled. Maybe that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Maybe I was supposed to be looking in with Zifashwe Shumaso to realize that there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. And it might be the honesty. It might be the humility. It might be the characteristics I'm supposed to be growing which don't look like what everybody else is displaying on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on TikTok. It's not what, that's, that's not who I'm supposed to be. Maybe I was supposed to be here for a completely different reason. 
With that realization, that's the only reason that, we, that, 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 that there's a right and perspective to learn about this topic, is to understand what it is that we're here to fix, and hopefully we can do that job in our way, which might be very humble and might not be very showy. But Bezra Hashem, we should be able to succeed in that. Thank you so much, Rabbi Safi.